Hello, and welcome back to the 10th episode of Drinks and Thinks, a podcast where I talk to my friends about philosophical issues and life and everything else uh, over a couple of beverages. Uh, today, I'm going to be trying something a bit new, but I'll leave that for later because we've also got something a bit old returning to the show, and that is <laughs> my guest from my first episode, Arthur Pinkney. Arthur, welcome back. Hello, it's good to be back. It's really good to be back. Looking forward to this. It's been uh, quite a long time since you were last on the show. So what has changed in your life since, you know, all those months ago? Uh, I've done my A-levels. had to reset some exams. Um, I've got a job. I'm working nights at an Amazon warehouse. It's as uh, awe-inspiring and thrilling as it sounds. And um, pretty much that's about it. I'm very bored. And this is the most excitement I've had in my life for quite some time. Honestly, you and me both, mate. It's, uh, <laughs> Scotland is a lovely place, but it's also pretty grey and cold. And uni work is coming to the point where it's 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 sort of culminating for the term, uh, you know, exam week and, and stuff like that. But nonetheless, here we are today talking about philosophy once again. And uh, Christmas is coming up. Let's not forget that. Christmas, Christmas is coming up. We can all be happy about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's something to, to look forward to. And the thing is, I know a lot of people who, for some reason, just don't like Christmas, either because I think really it's just a secret resentment for their own family. But um, we don't talk about that. Yeah, well, yeah let's, not, let's not delve into that. I think I'm a bit of too, too much of a depressing topic, <laughs> hatement of one's family. But um, I mean, Chris, I mean, I love Christmas. How can you? I, I don't understand how you can not love Christmas. But um, I mean, I guess some people don't, don't agree with it from a religious religion perspective. If you're not Christian, then and and you don't, you know, you know, you don't subscribe to the whole idea of Christ's birthday and all that sort of stuff, then I can understand why you might not get the whole idea of Christmas. But it's just it's more about family and spending time with your friends and family and having a bit of a celebration, especially this year. We all need a celebration this year, don't we? Yeah, we definitely all need a celebration this year. I think I think you're right in in talking about the little bit about um, you know other religions. I mean, every most religions have some sort of winter time uh, festivities based on, you know, their own religion. Uh, I mean, yeah. there's, been, there's been a winter festival around for thousands of years. The Romans celebrated it. Pagans before them in, in Britain celebrated a winter festival. It's all, it's pretty normal. You know, it's, it's kind of, I guess, in those dark, dreary months, people need a little bit of cheering up. But what is your favourite part of Christmas? You know, like, is it the food? Is it the music? I know some people love to just binge out on on so much christmas food um well, i don't know what's your favorite part um i would say probably christmas eve is my favorite part of, of Chris, the christmas period only because i well in in an ordinary year when you can have family and friends over or you go to their house or whatever you know christmas eve is generally the time where you uh you either go to their house or you're you'll be you've been there for one day and, you, and you're settled in and you're you're just having a nice time. Christmas Day is always a bit manic in, in my family because I have quite a large family on my dad's side. I have 10 cousins and we're all in one house and many aunties and uncles and it's all a bit manic. But Christmas Eve, not everyone's there all the time. So, of course, it's lovely to see my whole family on, on Christmas Day. But Christmas, Christmas Eve is a bit more relaxed and everyone's a bit, you know, just a bit, just just a bit, you know, a bit more relaxed and um, just chilled out and looking forward to looking forward to the following day and I, I really enjoy the Christmas Eve evening is especially nice when you know you uh, we do a thing in my family where it's it's a very weird Christmas tradition but we um 
we uh, call up for the chimney to Santa Claus to uh, to say what we want for Christmas and all that sort of stuff. So I've, I've done that since I was a little kid and I really enjoy that, that whole thing. I, I love all of those weird little traditions that every family has something, something different, you know, whether it be a Christmas tradition or an Easter tradition or just something else in between. It's just so they're just so good and like homely and just just, yeah. just wholesome just wholesome it's, really. the, it's the little things that you know you look forward to in christmas christmas periods like this and it's and especially this year as well it's those little things those little family traditions that you you look forward to most because you've missed you haven't done them for a year and, and you really are in desperate need this year to to do something homely and and, and lovely with your family yeah definitely I, I think you're right there um <laughs> i think you've kind of shown me up there your answer was really cute and wholesome I think my favorite part of Christmas, pigs in blankets, gotta be. Oh yes, that might just top it. To be honest, <laughs> that might that might tip mine. <laughs> pigs in blankets are so. Oh my god, making me hungry. Yeah, forget mm. forget spending time with your family. You know, forget no. all that wholesome stuff. No, just pigs in blankets. Yeah, you don't even need turkey. To be honest, you don't. You just have Big a whole plate. pound yeah. of pork wrapped in pork. What is not to like? Oh man, god damn, they're so good. They're so good. Forget Brussels sprouts, though. Do you like you, a bit of a weird question? But a uh, bit of an off-topic question. Do you like Brussels sprouts, Connor? Are you a Brussels sprouts man? I feel like I feel like Brussels sprouts are so dividing. Some people, it's kind of a marmite thing. Some people the marmite of the vegetable. Yeah, it really is. It's a marmite vegetable. And personally, I'm I'm pro. What about you? You're pro. You see, I'm not. I don't like how they taste, but um. I mean, I know a lot of people, and I'm, I'm, I myself am one of those people who have to have one at, at all times. So if there's being sprouts being made, especially at Christmas, you have to have one simply because it's just it's just the thing you have to do, even if you don't like them. You gotta you gotta get it down. Um, I I don't like them. I think they taste grim, but you know you you gotta do it. It's Christmas. I can understand that. It, it's basically you know like a mini cabbage, but for me, it's not even about the flavour. It's just it's you know the sprout is just a sponge for other flavors like <laughs> sponge and just all of the meat juices it's just a it's just a flavor sponge it's just there to be soaking up everything else can i can i put another suggestion for favorite christmas moment go on let's hear it christmas leftovers oh uh, the, the following day on the day after so chris uh boxing day and the, the one after that whatever that one yeah. is called 27 oh, christmas leftovers the 27th yeah Oh, yeah, my. I, I one time last year, you know, you know, in uh, in in Friends, the sitcom, you know, where Ross has that sandwich that's like legendary. I made an even better version of that with <laughs> like, uh, uh, to be fair to him, I did steal something from his recipe. And that's a slice of bread in the middle, which you soak in the leftover gravy and just makes it all so moist. So two got- bits of bread on the outside. Yeah, and, and a moist, a moist sopping bit of bread in the middle, yeah. and other stuff. Oh yeah, and turkey, and pigs in blankets, and stuffing, and whatever else you can find. That's that must have. Uh, you got to put a cocktail stick in that one, and that's, that's falling apart. You got to do that. It was cocktail stick. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty large. It was it was a towering deli style. Oh, it was probably more calories than you should have in two meals. In yeah. one, though, but you know, we move, we move. But that's Christmas. Everyone gets fat on Christmas. Exactly, it's bulking season. It's the only time of the year you've got a you're yeah, exactly bulking season. Correct. Correct. 
Um, just to come back around to family, your family kind of have a, uh, it's not really a tradition, but you're, both of your parents are involved in law enforcement. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking a little bit about today in the vein of laws and stuff like that. What's it like being the, the child of police people? Uh, interesting, I think would be the word I'd use. Uh, probably both uh, has, has, has its pros and cons. Um, pros being, um, you know, it's something to talk about on a podcast. True. Uh, and, you know, it, it gives me good, they have lots of interesting stories to, to, uh, to tell me over the years about, um, you know, things that they've done and things that they've seen and people they've met and that sort of stuff. For like working in the police, you get to see both the best and the worst side of, of humanity. But, mm -hmm. um, so there's, so there's always great stories to be had, but again, cons, you know, um, got to be careful about doing anything that might be pushing the boundaries of, of the law i think uh, especially in, in my mum's case because uh my mum is um uh quite high up in in the police and so um she's constantly under the scrutiny of, of the daily mail right. and um anything that i do uh of course it doesn't reflect uh directly back to her but she is very conscious that um her 18 year old son could be a bit of a liability when it comes to her and the daily mail so it's a, it's a bit of an interesting one, bit of an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense to be fair. I can see how uh, your actions could be scandalous. But, um, scandalous. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's, no, I, I, I like it. And I, I, of course, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change yeah. it at all. It's, it's yeah, good. Good. Um, to sway things in a philosophical direction, um, and actually to, to bring up the new thing that I'm doing this week, I, in preparation for this episode, wrote a very short, um, vague opinion piece, really, about the law in general, and a few philosophical views are sort of sprinkled in there. Um, it's not particularly well written, but it will be in the description of this video so that you can read it before we go on to uh, discuss all of this stuff. Arthur's already read it, of course, so that we can uh, you know, discuss all the issues in it. Um, but one of the main questions that, or one of the main things that I bring up at the start is sort of the origin of laws. Um, the view that, that I sort of expressed there is obviously that, that laws, uh, human laws at least, originate in the name with humans. Uh, we're sort of, you know, we're not the best moral judges. We're not infallible. And the laws we create, I think, reflect that. What were your thoughts when you read that, Arthur? I, when I read that, I did a little bit of research into the, the first um, uh, code of law. And yep. it was, it, uh, I'm sure you know this, I'm sure you've, you've researched the same thing. It, it came up in um, Mesopotamia, the ancient Mesopotamian people. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the, I think it was something like the 25th or 30th uh, century BC. So quite a long time ago. It's usually a very, long very long time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I thought I, I, uh, I did a little bit of digging into, um, you know, what type of laws were there? You know, were they extraordinarily different to the ones that we we have in today's society or were they, you know, you can sort of see the links between between then and now. And um, it was actually it was actually the latter. I mean, uh, the main laws that, that I, I noticed were um, such as if you kill, you shall be killed if you um have an affair with another man's wife you shall be killed and all these sorts of things and of course 
you know killing is isn't it very interesting one as as a response to to crime but um i i thought it was interesting that you know the, the main points of uh the main sticking points in the law like the murders like the um uh i mean of course cheating isn't illegal it's it's bad but it's not illegal um yeah. but killing uh robbing was there mm-hmm. um you know those those two are of course the main uh the main biggest crimes i would say in, in today's society yeah exactly i mean laws um laws basically are established i think you know by people to prevent those exact kind of behaviors that you described there i think in pretty much every code of law every system that we see around the world today or across history all the way back to the mesopotamians there's you know there are these basic sort of sets of rules about stealing about murdering uh, and, and you know there's a few other ones thrown in there like uh, attacking people uh, sexual rules like um, like you say adultery maybe a law in some culture in some cultures in some uh, systems as might um, homosexual law uh, yeah. homosexual yeah. sex sorry is forbidden in, in quite a few countries today unfortunately but also has been um, quite a lot over the past uh, you know, thousands and thousands of years. Like you say, there's there's all these basic common laws that we can see across different cultures, but there are laws beyond those common laws that I think are sort of coloured because, you know, people ultimately are so, so different from one another. So the laws that people establish in, you know, in cultures across time and across the globe are going to be vastly different in certain ways. Granted, all of them may say, you know, maybe don't murder, maybe don't steal. But, for instance, the the laws against homosexuality are hugely, in my opinion, quite, you know, subjective, really. And they're, they're chosen based on the cultural attitudes of the country in which this, these laws are being created. Uh, the same goes for laws in Muslim countries in the present day that forbid um, consumption of alcohol and things like that. Uh what are your thoughts on that kind of, you know, subjectivity of laws almost in certain countries? Obviously it's to do with the way that countries have developed. And um, I mean, recently I've, I've been thinking outside of, outside of this podcast and outside of your opinion piece, I've, I've been thinking about, you know, the reasons why countries and cultures are the way that they are. I mean, no one, like you said about 30 seconds ago, no one uh, in uh, in the in the world, all, no one comes from the same place. So every every country has its own culture, and it's not that's not you know it's not random, it's not arbitrary. There's a there's a very very clear reason why every country is different. It's because every country is, is has been separate for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and nothing stays the same over thousands of years. So of course things are going to change, and things are going to morph, and societal cultures are going to be extraordinarily contrasting and different wherever you go, and so. Um, you, you mentioned the laws on laws on homosexuality. And of course, um, in this country, we think uh, the uh, banning of, of homosexuality and, and things that uh, go alongside it. Um, we think that that's that's awful. Of course, it's awful. And if in that country, there would be a, a quite right almighty uh, outburst of anger and, and uh, sadness. But I think the fact that it occurs in another country isn't necessarily a bad thing you know what i mean and that's gonna and it's gonna sound it's gonna sound like i'm being mean but i think that 
the fact that another country has different laws uh, surrounding something that we would say is absolutely 100% should be fine. I think that firstly is thoroughly interesting, the fact that their, their, their culture has evolved in such a way. But also that it is it's okay for for that culture to, to have to have morphed in such a way. I find it interesting. I think the the case of homosexuality is kind of a different one in that it's not the fact that um, that Islamic countries have you know taken a broadly different branching route through civilization and ended up at homosexuality homosexuality is illegal while we haven't. The fact of the matter is we were in that exact state 50, 60 years ago. You know, unfortunately, homosexuality has only very recently in the grand scheme of things been legalized in the Western world and has yet to do so in the East and in the Middle East. Oh, sorry, in the Middle East, not in the East. Um, But the question then comes to me, you know, why are we so certain that that's the right thing? I mean, you kind of expressed the view there that you're not sure it's, it's such a terrible thing that it's, that, that Islamic countries have different laws. But, you know, from a moral standpoint, we want to be able to say, I, I feel like this is a view I may have expressed before uh, in another episode, but we want to be able to say that there are a certain set of laws that are, you know, the right set of laws. Because surely if, if one country, A, says this thing is bad, one country, B, says this thing is okay, you can do it if you want, Surely one of them is wrong. Uh, no, I, I don't agree with that at all, actually. Um, I, I think that uh, individual societies and individual countries having uh, uh, individual laws and, and sets of laws, I think that's the way it should be, personally. I don't necessarily think that just, just in like uh, individual people don't have to have the same opinions and we should all I mean, we, we, we preach nowadays that society and uh, our culture uh, increasingly more so uh, seems to preach a, uh, a message of acceptance, accepting someone else's views and accepting someone else's way of life. And just because it might contradict your own way of life and go against what you necessarily believe in doesn't necessarily mean that you should uh, inflict um you know emotional or, or, or physical pain on them because of their of their disagreement with you and so in my view of course acceptance is is great but um it sort of seems a bit contradictory to say in this is just an example but in in our society we should be accepting of people who have a different way of life but not accepting of another country that has a different way of life if that makes sense right i think I think fundamentally what you're getting at here is a, uh, a key sort of paradox in uh, political philosophy, in liberal political philosophy, at least. And that is the, the paradox of tolerance. You know, in a yep. society that you want to be completely tolerant, you want, uh, say we want society A to be completely tolerant of every kind of faith and sexuality and race and gender, you know, none of that really matters. We just want it, everyone to be treated the same and we want to let everyone do what they want in that kind of regard, as long as it's, you know, not harming anyone else. But then what do we do with somebody who lives in such a society, but is intolerant of other people? Surely that's a choice that they're making. Surely that's a way of life. What if their religion, as is the case in some, in some places today, what if their religion 
actively states that you should be intolerant of certain kinds of people. In this kind of situation, we're, we're faced with a paradox, ultimately. We need to either be intolerant of this intolerant person or this intolerance, or we need to leave them be because we're tolerant, leave them be and let them be intolerant of other people. It's just a huge um, sort of vicious circle, as it were, and we can't really get around that without biting the bullet and just saying, yes, you need to be intolerant of intolerance, but that's the only thing that in a liberal society we should be intolerant of. Granted, then, that's kind of impossible because being intolerant of, uh, say, Islam, who is intolerant, which is intolerant of, uh, of, of homosexuality, in that case, you are being intolerant of a religion, not just of intolerance. It's, it's difficult when things like that are so bound up together. Um, For sure. I mean, the more, uh, the, the further you go down that logical chain, the more muddled it becomes, really, isn't it? There is no way, uh, not really any way of, um, you know, resolving the vicious cycle, like you say, unless 100% of the people are either tolerant or intolerant if that makes sense you have to have fully on one side of, of, of the scale yeah I, I just want to point out that in effect what you described just then was you know a completely homogenous society which is very ironic when with the goal in mind of creating a perfectly tolerant and you know accepting diverse society the only way to achieve such a thing is where everybody has the exactly. same view. it's ironic it's logically muddling um i just want to come back to uh, that question that I asked before, um, you sort of seem to say that, uh, you know, because of this whole, this whole issue, we can't really afford to say uh, that one set of laws is the right set of laws and one set of opinions is the right set of opinions because we seem to tolerate other people's um, opinions on, on an individual basis. Why do we not do so on a national basis? But my question comes then, should we not also, in fact, be, you know, uh, arguing and urging people and debating with people so as to uncover the right views about life, the universe and everything. Surely in everyday uh, interactions, I mean, <laughs> this may be why people don't like to spend a huge amount of time with me, but <laughs> in everyday interactions, surely we have this sort of burden, this moral obligation really to at least attempt to sway other people to our view and listen to what they have to say. And if we're swayed, Brilliant. The right view there or the better view of those two has gained another follower and so on and so on until everyone's following the right views. But the question is, then, can there be such a thing as right views? Well, you and me both uh, like to um, convince other people of our, of our views. Um, and sometimes sometimes it works, but most of the time it doesn't, because some people, you know, this, what I'm trying to say is some people will not see your view some people will not will not see your point of view no matter how hard you try no matter how good your points are how well put together your argument is it is just not going to happen and i mean i hold the view that you can't convince someone of something that they don't have a concept of well i mean what what evidence do we have that there isn't a right set of laws out there a correct set of views or laws that exist that we just haven't found yet we haven't agreed upon yet in the UAE, their culture has evolved so that they don't have a concept, as I think this is the case, as a culture, they don't have a concept of homosexuality being acceptable. Does that make sense? 
it's in in their culture that homosexuality homosexuality is not acceptable. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, by their sense. religion, it's not acceptable. It makes sense, but you know, in this day and age where globalization is just a fa- fact of life, these people have heard these views before. They've they've seen that in other countries homosexuality is acceptable. It seems to me they do have a concept of it. Okay, that, that, that's a fair point. But if we take if we talk from a religious perspective, their sure. religion says absolutely not. Homosexuality is forbidden. Um, and th- there's there's no way of of changing the religion. The religion is the religion. Um, of course, religions. You know, you get uh, sections of the religion that go off and, and make their own little um, versions of that religion. But in in the main, Islam says fundamentally homosexuality is a sin, and you you shall not do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think even uh, okay, sure they understand the concept of homosexuality being acceptable, but there is no way of of, of convincing someone who is uh, Muslim that ho- I don't think there is any way. There's no way of convincing someone who is Muslim that homosexuality is it can possibly be can possibly be acceptable. Point of the matter is, I think uh, here we have a bit of a fundamental disagreement, really in that uh, you think people can't be convinced. I think it just takes a lot of hard work. So today, I've uh, once again almost sort of lost inspiration for the uh, related drinks, as it were, the drinks that are kind of somehow intertwined with the theme of the episode. You know, I thought it was quite a good way to do it, sort of tied it all together quite nicely in a little bow, but ultimately... There aren't really that many drinks that, like cocktails that when you drink them say to you, oh yeah, law. <laughs> this is a bit of a tricky one. Um, so today instead I've gone with something a bit more, uh, just sort of interesting drink that uh, I hadn't really tried before and is quite refreshing really actually. Uh, and there's a lot of history behind this drink. Today we're having a gin gimlet. What do you think of yours, Arthur? Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, I've never had one before, actually. It's quite good. So I, I, had, to, I had to get you to, to tell me how to make it. But uh, 50-50, lime cordial and a bit of gin. I've got mine in a little crystal glass with a bit of ice. It's very nice. It's really good. I'm going to have another one. It's really got that sort of, it's like almost like a gin and tonic, but more refreshing in a weird way because it's got that like tang of the lime. A bit, bit of ze- zesty, zesty goodness. Zesty, tangy goodness. Zesty yeah. goodness. That's the one. Delicious. Um, I made mine a bit differently because for some reason Tesco don't sell lime cordial. So I had to freestyle this a little bit. <laughs> and I've gone with, well, I had to make, bear in mind, I, I figured it was, it was a worthwhile time investment um, for given, given the fact I literally run a podcast about drinks. Uh, so I had to make up some simple syrup, which for the cocktail lovers among you, you'll know it's, it's just sugar and water it's literally just sugar and water melted or well, dissolved together and boiled for a bit to make it sort of thicker um it's used for sweetening loads of different cocktails i used a two to one sugar to water ratio uh, and then used that with fresh lime juice and gin so uh one of one simple syrup to two fresh lime juice to four gin was the ratio that i used and it was really really like tangy show me up here it's just got the no, 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 like that, that tang. It's, that sounds really good. That sounds extra nice. It was even more nice than my one. I'm not entirely sure if it was worth the effort, 
but it was nice. I probably could have accomplished the same thing with lime cordial and gin as you have, but here we are anyway. How long did it take you to, to do? Well, I mean, it, it's, it didn't take too long. The simple syrup is pretty simple. It's in the name. You just whack yeah. it in a pot and heat it. It's not too bad. You're cooling it down. I, I might give that a go. Yes, it's a good ingredient to have around if you're going to be making cocktails. Sounds really good. Sounds really nice. It is. The, the, the history behind the gin gimlet is, you know about scurvy, right? Yep. So when, uh, when the sailors were getting scurvy and stuff in the, in the Royal Navy, um, all of these sort of uh, the deckhands and the sailors, they used to just basically whack a load of... I do apologise, my dog is barking. I'm sure she'll be quiet in a second. All right. Who doesn't like a bit of ambience? Lovely. Um, so all of these sailors used to just whack a bunch of limes in some rum, basically, to preserve them while they were out at sea. Um, and so they could get enough vitamin C and not die of scurvy, which is horrendous if you hadn't heard of it. It's just absolutely horrible. It can give you so many symptoms of just, just pain. Um, bone ache is among them. I didn't know your bones could ache, but there we are. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so the, uh, the officers of the Royal Navy, now they were a bit fancier. They didn't drink all of this uh, standard rum. Instead, they liked their gin. So they used to have gin and lime juice. And so was born the Gimlet. No one really knows where the name comes from. Could be from um, it's a little like screw-shaped tool they used to bore into barrels. So it could be from that, maybe. But no one really knows. It's quite an interesting story. Did you find that on Wikipedia? I did, in fact. It's really. There we go. Wikipedia is such an amazing place. Wikipedia is an amazing place. Oh, I, I get lost in there for hours. I sound like such a sadder, but I've really got nothing else to do. Oh, my God. You get lost in hours because you go on, you're on a page and you have a little read and it's interesting. And then you go, oh, that word with a little link on it also sounds pretty interesting. So you click on it, you, you can go down so many, so many rabbit holes. Blue, the so blue words are so dangerous. You just yep. click on a blue word and you're somewhere else. Like You just keep going. But it We've does make played the pretty... Wikipedia game, haven't we, Connor? You and me. To say, it makes for a good Wikipedia game. What a game that is! What Many hours have been spent playing that game. Yeah, yeah, very true. And for those of you who don't know the, Wiki the Wikipedia game, there's a little button on Wikipedia in the top left where you just can go onto a Wikipedia page, a homepage, and just click the button, and it takes you to a random Wikipedia page. Bear in mind, Wikipedia literally has a page for like everything, pretty much. It's got pages for like fungal toe infections and stars that are like billions of light years away it's it's just ridiculous uh, and the wikipedia game is before all of you you know you and your mates decide to play you pick an object or a topic or a person or something that has a wikipedia page and then you randomize and see who can get to that page the first just by clicking other links that's all you're allowed to do click other links on the page and it is really fun because you find yourself just guessing like how can I get to liver? Uh, maybe if I click Lyme's disease. It's funny because when we talk about it, it makes us sound really boring. <laughs> it oh, yeah. sounds really tedious, but it is actually really good fun. It's great. It's, fun. The, it's, really it, it's always really tense as well. Yeah, exactly. It's the kind of thing you do when like, you haven't got anything else. You haven't got like playing cards and stuff like that. All you've got is like a phone and the internet. What can you do to have fun with your mates? I mean, nowadays you could do like anything. You could do like Among Us or something. Great fun again. Shout out. But um, the Wikipedia game, classic. 
shifting a little bit away from the almighty and legendary Gimlet, uh, there's a question that, you know, a lot of people ask about laws. When you hear about, you know, the law, why, you know, especially when you're a teenager, you're growing up, you're a bit rebellious. Oh, why should I do what you say? Oh. You know, why should I do what the law says, ultimately? Uh, what, what's your reply to that kind of question, Arthur? If someone asked you, why should I do what the law says? What, what would you say? That's a really good question. Well, the uh, philosopher in me would say, uh, you don't have to. You can do whatever you like. Interesting. Because laws are ultimately uh, not really there for individual use. They're for the society as, as a, well, theoretically, for society as a collective. So if you were so uh, inclined to not follow the laws, then crack on and, and, and not follow the laws but the uh, the person of the of, of society that that the person who lives in the world would say absolutely of course follow them and especially coming from a, a perspective of being the child of two police officers obviously the whole follow the law to the letter of the law has been greatly instilled in me um, but it's, it's a very interesting question I mean I, I, I guess the question is when when if if ever is it okay to to break to break laws? Um, See, that, that's really interesting to me. There, that you're basically you're almost um, pointing out a default setting, as it were, that you know we should always follow the law just because it's the law. We just should. The question we need to be asking instead, you're saying, is that when can we not follow the law? When is it okay not to, you know, follow the law to the letter? I find that really interesting. That your default is follow the law as opposed to not follow the law and follow it in these circumstances. Do you think well, that's just as a result of your sort of socialization, just because the fact, you know, you've grown up and lived in a society. We live in a society. <laughs> nice meme reference. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's just the case with, with everyone. I think everyone who lives uh, and is born and brought up in a society that, um, has law abiding very very high up on on its on its agenda i think everyone i believe everyone has has the default attitude of of law abiding i think those who who break the law and i don't mean like stealing a freddo from from the shop i mean like like breaking 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 the law and i guess that's another example of ooh, when is it okay to break the law and all that sort of stuff but the people who properly properly majorly break the law i think that is going against their default, if that makes sense, rather than that being their their origin, their default. I think that goes against their their their, their default setting, as it were. But it's interesting because in your um in your opinion piece, right at the end, you said um your opinion are uh, that uh the obligation to obey to obey laws is uh, based entirely on the collective desire for order in a society. I don't actually agree with that. Interestingly, I, I I've, I've I've written a little note here to myself. I've written that um. Well, I think that most most people abide by the law, not because of the collective desire. Collective desire. I actually think it's to do with the fear and the, uh, the 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 need to not be punished. If that makes sense. Right. That's that's kind of the the question that I was asking. Is is you know, um, where does that default setting of most people wanting to abide by the law? Where does that setting come from? Why do why is that the default? Uh, and I think right, okay. because of no, I mean you've answered it. It's, it's because, in your view, 
because punishment. Well, I think that order, like you say, societal order, I believe that is, that's actually a byproduct but of, of everyone's individual desire not to be sanctioned for, for crimes, if that makes sense. So everyone has, has this uh, individual need and desire to not be punished. And everyone knows that if you commit a crime, you're probably going to be punished for it. And so I don't think that uh, people stopping themselves from committing crimes is to do with, oh, crime is bad. I don't want to be bad for society. I actually think it's to do with if I get caught, I will be punished. And therefore, in order to not get caught, I should just not do the thing in the first place. Right, right. Okay, I see, I see where you're coming from. I think my view almost has it the other way around, right? In that um, instead of it being that um, we, well, I suppose we all on an individual basis, I'm agreeing, I suppose, in saying that we all on an individual basis follow the laws because we don't want to get thrown in jail. We don't want to get arrested. So we don't break laws typically on a daily basis. But ultimately, I think that punishment, you know, there'd be no reason for punishment if there wasn't a reason for law, right? We, if, if the laws didn't have some overarching motive behind them, there'd be no need to have punishments in order to enforce them. But ultimately, these laws are in place in order to create order in society to create societal order to make sure that everyone can live free from the you know uh, the danger of theft and murder and rape and all of those other horrible things that laws um forbid i think on an individual basis i suppose i am agreeing with you that because punishment people don't break laws but punishment i think only occurs because we want societal order. Sure. So it's, it's interesting you brought in uh, why the laws are in place. So I would actually agree with you then on, on all of what you said. But the reason the laws are in place from an overall overarching perspective, I would say, is to maintain and uh, create societal order. But I think the I think the reason that individuals follow the law is not because they have this, um, you know, big brain uh, concept of I must contribute to order in society and I must maintain the status quo of peace and serenity. I don't think it's that at all. I think it's to do with the quite selfish, actually, desire to uh, not be punished. It's, it's entirely to do with your own personal need for uh, safety and for um, just just to, to not be in any way worse off than, than you were before so to not be punished um yeah the, yeah, the reason I, the reason i think that is because um when you think of laws you don't think of what you don't think of, of a book of rules saying you can do this you can do this you can do this it's it's the complete converse of that that laws tell you what you cannot do and what will happen if you do the things which you cannot do they don't say you may do this and if you do this good thing you will contribute to this society in this way. It actually says, don't do this or you will get punished in, in this manner. And so I right. think that the emphasis on, you know, that, that negative side rather than the positive side sort of makes it naturally follow that abiding by the laws is probably emphasis on the negative aspect, i.e. the selfish side of it, rather than contributing to a peaceful society. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a very, very good point actually that you bring up there that, 
that ultimately laws are a negative enforcement as opposed to positive enforcements. Um, we've fairly accurately, I think, described why people do follow laws. A slightly deeper question, I think, why should people follow laws? Is it okay that our motivation is ultimately a selfish one, ultimately the desire not to be punished? Should we be big braining it and saying, well, if I actually, you know, do X, Y, Z, then it will be better on the whole for society. Do you think that there should be other reasons for our, um, our, obey, our obedience to the law as opposed to just punishment in an ideal society? Do I think that people should follow laws beyond the realm of uh, risk of being punished? Sure. I, I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's exactly it, really. I mean, that's another way of phrasing it is right, in a hypothetical sure. world in which we have no punishment, why should people follow laws? Is there an ulterior reason? Well, I, I think to go back to what you said earlier, it's sort of a, it, goes, it sort of swings and roundabouts. So in a society where there's no punishments uh, for breaking laws, there would be no laws. I, I, I think that, uh, like you said earlier, if, if you're going to have laws in a society, there has to be a, uh, a consequence to not following those laws, if that makes sense. If you have a law, but there's no consequences for not following the law, then the law sort of becomes... Uh, the, well, the necessity of the law and the the um, influence the law has on society be complete, com becomes completely obsolete. So I guess... without punishment, there is really no law. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might, there might, it yeah. might exist. It might be written down, but it won't actually have any effect. It's like, um, yeah, exactly. Because you know, in a society where we don't need punishment, we don't need laws because those laws are already in effect being enforced. If you don't need punishment to enforce those laws, then the laws are redundant because people are already doing what you need them to. Exactly. And, and, and to, go, to go a bit further, um, to go on a, a slight, it's related, but it's a slight tangent. I mean, I, I've been thinking again a, a little bit recently about the whole concept of, of, of anarchism. And I'm sure your listeners are more than aware of what anarchism is. But if one person wasn't, it's basically a uh, way of, well, it's not even a way of governing society. It's the it, the opposite of that. It's complete lack of governance in society. So there's no laws. There's no higher powers. There's no um. There, well, there's there's no law enforcement. There's no laws. There's nothing to follow. You are completely free to do as you please. And I found it really interesting because I I, I thought about it a bit and I realised that the of course the word anarchy has massive uh, negative connotations. When you think of anarchy, you think of well, you think of the purge. That's what I think of anyway. Um. But anarchism, in a sense, is only flawed so far as it's not 100% followed and backed by everyone, if that makes sense. In a society where there is an anarchism is, is the way that the society is going about it. But 100% um, of the people um, know that the moral code that they, they should be following is, is a certain moral code and everyone follows the same moral code. It's not explicitly stated in laws. It's not enshrined in any books. It's none, none of that. But it's implied and everyone follows the same sort of uh, school of thought surrounding uh, their morality and the way they should be living their life. In a society where 100% of the people follow the same school of thought, anarchism absolutely works. There will be no need for punishment. There will be no need for laws because everyone would, would be agreeable with everyone else. Anarchism only descends into madness and chaos and anarchy 
when 99.99999% or less of the people uh, agree with it. Does that make sense? Am I, am I making sense there? Yeah, no, you're definitely, you're definitely making sense there. I think kind of what we've really gotten down to there in almost a, a sort of thought experiment about anarchism, in effect, is what you've provided there. What we've gotten down to is the core of why we have laws. You know, yes, we want morality. We want, we want order in society. Yes, we want um, punishment, which is why we, you know, don't, or, or at least the, the threat of punishment, which is why we, we would abide by laws. The laws are there in place to maintain order. But ultimately, what is the reason for, you know, for having these laws in order to maintain order? In effect, what you've really um, expressed there is that all that laws do is formalize and make obvious and clear to everybody the sort of shared morality of a society. All we're doing is codifying morals and moral law or moral rules into law, into legal um, sort of writings and uh, and uh, codes, I guess. So, in effect, we have laws. I mean, would it, like because... I said, it would only work with the... Exactly, exactly. It would only work right. with 100% because of people. society but... doesn't have 100% of the people that follow the same school of thought, therefore okay. laws are necessary. Absolutely 100% agree with you. Yeah. Exactly. So the, so the morality there uh, is just, the laws there are just to make sure everyone sticks to the same morality because people don't. Talking of morality, can I, can I ask you a question? I know this is not the way of doing of it as the, as the uh, person invited. I like to spice up. Um, okay, what do you think about this question? Does morality shape the law or does the law shape morality? I think ultimately, if it were a... A, uh, a philosophical debate it would probably be phrased in a more uh, normative manner as opposed to a descriptive manner there um, I think in the descriptive sense it's probably it, it's probably a two-way street ultimately um, laws typically are based on the morals of the society in which they're founded but equally somebody living in a society in which those laws are are governing it's going to adopt those same morals that are that influence the laws in the first place in a more normative sense in a more philosophical sense i guess should should it be one way or the other yeah i think ultimately morality should shape the law because morality is in effect just a higher order a higher form of rule or law that ought to govern our behavior the laws are only in place to codify them as we as we expressed there so should it be one way or the other yes morals should influence the law i don't think laws should influence people's morality and i think if the laws are wrong and they influence your morality there's no reason you can't have wrong morals then yeah. if moral if, if it's only a one-way street and morality can only affect laws then if the laws are wrong and you're born and you are raised or whatever and you then develop your own morality you can realize that those laws are wrong and, and replace them you see this is why I think it should be a one-way street. Ultimately, as I say, it goes both ways, I think, in reality. I, I would agree. I, I think it, it should be a one-way street, um, and, and it does go both ways. I mean, when I, when I read your opinion piece, I had a bit of a think about, about this question, and um, I, I, in order to try and find some, some sense and, and, and reason in, in answering it, to try and find an answer, not that I necessarily agree with this, but I, I thought about going back to the origins of, of law and like i mentioned earlier the the first uh, code of law the, Me the mesopotamian uh, people 
3,000, not 32,000, but 3,200 years, Three, 5,000. Oh my God, my math's terrible. 5,000 years ago, we got there in the end. Um, we got there. So 5,000 years ago, this, this code of law was in place. And, and, and like I said earlier as well, that one of the laws was, um, if you murder, you shall be murdered. You murdered. And so what I thought about that, I was, I was thinking, okay, so it, it's it, by their standards, it's morally wrong to kill first, but it's morally acceptable to kill that person who then killed. So, yeah, exactly. What, There's a whole issue here. About, it's the same in, in um, you know, in war. The first person to break a treaty is the immoral one. The, the retaliation in that case is fine. This is a whole sort of thing in, I think, just typically in human morality. It's whoever raises a hand first when it comes to violence, who's at fault. Retaliation, self-defense, you know, it's, it's understood. It's seen as, as kind of okay. Yeah, okay, maybe you should turn the other cheek or be the bigger man or whatever you want to say, um, but, or be the bigger person. But ultimately, retaliation is kind of acceptable. I think I see where you're coming from. It, it is very interesting that the initial act of murder is immoral, but the, the second act is kind of okay. In a way, I think that kind of comes down to the special status of the government, the state, the law yep. system, uh, and you know the uh, the law enforcement agency that's at work there. I think that ultimately we need to afford law enforcement a special moral standing or a special legal standing at least, because otherwise nothing gets enforced. And there's a huge issue at the moment with with policing and defunding the police. And there's nothing wrong with defunding the police, but ultimately, if you get rid of police, like you say, unless there's a hundred percent agreement we're going to end up in anarchy with a capital anarchy. Sure. I mean, to, to go further, to, to propose another question to you. So um, if killing another person in, re in retaliation to, yeah. to them killing someone else, um, if, if, that's, if that's acceptable, um, then surely that those origins of, so that legal code, the origin of, of the law as we know it, Surely that that would suggest that the law shapes morality rather than morality shapes the law. And I, I said that because it's the morality of murder on the second count of murder. So, well, it's not murder, I guess, but in the in the retaliation killing, the morality, the intrinsic, the apparently intrinsic uh, uh, moral wrongness of murder suddenly goes out the window. It's completely acceptable. And so, in my view, if morality yeah. was to shape the law, so if morality was to shape the law that way, then I would say that every action holds and and uh, has like a an intrinsic moral traffic light, if if that makes sense. So ev every action has, you know, this is wrong and, and and this is right. But in this sense, their law says that killing is acceptable when you have sufficient reason to do so. And so I would therefore say that the law is shaping morality there because it's saying that you are morally okay to kill someone, providing they've killed someone else. So, and if if morality was to I shape the law, I would say that, that at all times it would be killing is wrong because killing itself would be wrong at all times, but it's acceptable in in some cases. I disagree really? entirely. Okay. I think yeah, yeah, because there are so many. I think the whole the first of all that last point that you made that uh, at any given time killing is wrong, therefore killing is wrong. You know, just for to say that killing is wrong in general does not mean that killing has to be wrong in every single instance of killing. The fact of the matter is morality is hugely um, subject to change under certain circumstances. It's hugely contextual. 
right? We, we intrinsically and uh, intuitively afford different moral values to somebody who kills a child uh, as opposed to somebody who kills a child to save 300 children. There's huge amounts of contextual information that is important to the moral choices at hand. In response to the actual question about which way the effect is going on there, uh, like I said, in the real world, it can be a two-way street. In this case, I don't think it is. I think ultimately it is morality affecting the law. The fact of the matter is law says that killing in response to killing is okay. The only reason that that says that is because there's a deeper moral understanding there that retribution and justice and retaliation for a crime is okay. If someone does you wrong, if moral wrongs are committed, typically the, the moral intuition there is that there should be some kind of compensation or justice delivered to the person who has been a victim of a crime. You know, in this, in this instance, somebody who has been murdered, the kind, of, the kind of justice that can be afforded there could be imprisonment as it is in, in today's society. Yet again, another piece of evidence showing that morality affects law, because if law had affected morality, we'd still be affording the death penalty to everyone today, but we don't. Um, but back to the main point, you know, um, ultimately morality clearly in this, in this instance is the one affecting law, not the other way around, because it's, it's based on this inherent view that punishment for moral wrongs is okay. Interesting. Anyway, that was a, a very high, high energy hot-headed ending good. to the episode i I'm think that's <laughs> a good place to um just to round things off a bit what are your thoughts on what philosophy is i know i've asked you this before uh your previous response i think was in effect that you know we only get one shot at life and philosophy helps us to decide how we should live it has your views changed i mean i i still agree with with, um, with my statement but I, I think i'd like to add that um I mean, philosophy in general is, is hard to, to pinpoint exactly what, what it does on an individual basis. But I think thinking about issues that affect you or, and, or don't affect you and, and affect others, you know, thinking about issues and thinking about your opinion on issues is thoroughly important because it helps you evolve as a person, if that makes sense. You are the person, yeah. ultimately, that you make yourself out to be, of course society has influences on you other people have influence on you but ultimately the person you are is the person that you have let yourself be and i i personally think it's extraordinarily important to think about issues which affect you and don't affect you and you agree with and you don't and you and you disagree with because if you don't think about them then obviously you can't have an opinion and you can't let those issues affect you and and more the sort of person that, that you are but the more you think about things and the more you know the more critiques you do of issues that affect you and ones that don't affect you then you know the, the more influence that they can have on the person that you are and the more learned the person that you are the more rounded the person that you are and the, you know the more knowledgeable and wise you will become if that makes sense and I think it's extraordinarily important to to think about issues uh, of, of all sh of all shapes and sizes, and and to like we're doing here, discuss them even if you disagree with each other. Yeah, yeah, I think in effect, what you're saying is philosophy gives you a personality. It gives you personality, <laughs> and it also gives you a playground for uh, for discussion, important discussion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's that's a very good note to leave it on for today. Uh, well, 
thank you for coming along, Arthur. Thank you for talking to me about uh, law and about morality and everything else. I hope you've enjoyed your sailor's <laughs> pirate drink. I've really, I've really Cheeky enjoyed the drink and I've really enjoyed this. Thank you very much for having me once again. I'm, it's always a pleasure. And uh, of course, thank you to everybody for tuning in again this week. My faithful few listeners. Um, hopefully there'll be another episode out very soon. Uh, if you've been astute, you will have noticed there was a, a little bit of a hiatus between this episode and the last. That was because of you know various factors. But nonetheless, we shall push onwards with the rest of the series. Uh, and I want to say thank you for coming. Stay drinking. Stay thinking. See you Thank later. You.